0: There we go. Yes. (laughs) We all heard the Bible reading, so we all know that what Jesus is talking about is honesty and integrity. Have you ever discovered that someone has deceived you? I'd probably bet money that every adult just had a memory flash into their minds. My wife and I, we were recently moving to a new home, and Daniela mentioned that she might be interested, kind of excited, if we got a Google Home Hub, which is basically a little screen attached to a speaker. And I looked at Facebook Marketplace, and I found one, and I was so excited, and I messaged the person, and I said, I'd love to buy this from you and we came to an agreement she would send it to me via australia post and i would send her the money via bank transfer and everyone here probably already knows how that story ends i was betrayed i was deceived and the interesting thing i chased the person up for a couple of weeks and just this week i've I finally gave up and I said, righty, I lost this one. And it kind of hurt because I'd established a connection with this person. I trusted this person and they betrayed me. They did not keep their promise. Well, Jesus is speaking about exactly this issue in the passage that we're looking at this morning. He recognizes that deceit and dishonesty... They're a massive part of the human experience. It's been so normalized that we expect it of others. We laugh at people who fall for scams that are so obvious. But it's been so normalized, so much part of our experience, that often we even expect it of ourselves. Jesus is going to speak to that for us this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, or maybe you've been gone for a couple weeks, it'll be helpful for you to know that we're in the middle of this sermon series called Following Jesus in a Fallen World. We're spending time in the most famous sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is the one who preached it. One of the main themes of the Sermon on the Mount is that God isn't interested in In box ticking. God is interested in your heart. God is interested in having a totally and absolutely transformed heart. And in this passage, Jesus is specifically looking at the matter of integrity, of honesty, of truthfulness, of deceit and trickery and lying, This is how he starts it out. In verse 33, he says, Again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. In order to understand what's going on, it's really important for us to know that Jesus isn't just quoting an Old Testament verse here. Jesus is quoting the teaching of the religious leaders of his day and of the gener- a couple generations before him. And I know Adam mentioned this just a couple of weeks ago, but it's so necessary for us to remember how Jesus started this section of his sermon. Same chapter, back in verse 20, Jesus has said, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses, which means is greater than, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who were the religious leaders of his day, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is doing in our passage is he's going to highlight how the teaching of the religious leaders of his day is deficient, how it's wrong. He's going to correct it. So here's what Jesus says in response To the teaching of the religious leaders of his day. Starting in verse 34, he says, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair, white or black. And I don't know about you, but that seems like a really strange response to the teaching of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. So in order to understand why Jesus is responding the way he is, we're going to have to understand what it is that the religious leaders were really teaching. They would look at all these Old Testament verses. I'm just, let, me, let me read a couple for you, some of the verses that they would base their teaching off of. They would say, let, um, they would refer to places like Exodus chapter 20 verse 7, which is the third commandment, which says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. In Leviticus, there's a verse which says, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. And in Numbers, it says when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said Well, what the religious leaders of Jesus' day were convincing themselves, were doing, was convincing themselves and everyone else that as long as they didn't use God's name when they were making a promise, that they could break that promise. They would say, if you use God's name, you must keep it. But if you make a promise by the earth or the heavens or by Jerusalem, maybe by your mother's grave or maybe on your soul, then you can break your promise because God doesn't care as long as you haven't involved him in the promise by invoking or using his name. They said the emphasis of all those Old Testament verses is about the name of God. It's not talking about integrity. It's about the name of God. So they would say, if you say something like, I promised before God to be your friend, oh, you had to obey that promise. But if you say, I promise to be your friend, it had no value whatsoever. God didn't care if you kept your promise or not. This is the wrong teaching that Jesus is correcting. He points out, that heaven is God's throne, the earth is his footstool, city of Jerusalem is the city of God. Jesus is saying that all of these things, they have a, a link or a connection to God who made them. Jesus even points out that your own life is not separate from God. You can't control the aging process, whether your hair stays black or it turns white. The scriptures tell us that God knows the exact number of hairs on your head. Jesus is saying that God is everywhere and he knows everything and that no matter what you say, when you say it or where you say it, it's as if you're saying it in the very throne room of God himself with your hand on a stack of Bibles and not a noisy throne room where everyone's talking and you just kind of whisper something, No, a throne room where you are having a conversation in front of the throne of God, everyone is quiet and God is sitting there listening intently. Jesus is saying that God is involved no matter what formula of words you use. You can't get away from him with some clever phrasing or wordsmithry or convincing tone or body language. What Jesus is saying in this passage is that if promising, which is what taking oaths and vows is, if promising becomes a twisted way to mislead someone, it's better not to promise at all. We, we know and we read in the Scriptures that Jesus and Paul and God the Father... They spoke under oath. We were just singing about the promises of God. So the real issue here isn't about whether we take an oath or not, or about the particular words that we use. That was the mistake that the Pharisees were making. They said it's all about the particular words that you use. No, the matter is about our hearts. Jesus is explaining that the true meaning of those Old Testament verses, is isn't about the name of God, but it's about having integrity before God. That's why he says in verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Can you just imagine a society for a second where, where this was, how everything worked, where a politician could stand up and give a speech and you could, you could trust him fully to, to not be trying to trick you with fancy words. You could read a newspaper article and, and know that it was completely trustworthy. How amazing it would be if you could come to an agreement over the internet with someone to send you something and they, they would actually send it to you every paradise, right? How delightful it would be to have a conversation with your partner and know that they are being completely and consistently honest with you. This is the way that the world was created to be. The way the world was at the dawn of time before brokenness entered the world through Adam and Eve. There was that innocence, that simplicity, and not simplicity in a bad sense, but that simplicity in the pure and enjoyable and desirable sense of the word. Humans could trust each other, absolutely. And that is the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to live. He's calling us to be restored, to live the way that humanity was designed to live. Without the brokenness and the stress and the need to compartmentalize and fracture and maintain multiple false versions of reality in our heads, we were made to be integrated people. With our lives and our thoughts and our actions and our words being in total harmony Integrity is about being an integrated person, a person who is whole, who's unaffected by the brokenness that deception brings about in our lives. Adam and Eve, they, they introduced brokenness into the world, but in the midst of explaining to them the consequences of their actions, God also made a promise. And he promised that one day there would be a descendant of Eve who would defeat the broken, who would defeat the evil one, who would enable humanity to be restored to the kind of pure and integrated and honest lives that we were designed to enjoy. When we read, when we read the Bible, we read that God fulfilled that promise. Massive cost to himself. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world to live and die in order to defeat that brokenness. Jesus came in fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and to Eve, and in a sense, to all of humanity. Just by the way, it's because, because God fulfilled that promise that we can have confidence in him no matter what he says in the Bible. It's the reason why we can sing songs about the promises of God. It's the reason we can have confidence is because we know that he will follow through. He's proved his trustworthiness by sending his, own, his only son to fulfill his promise. And Jesus himself, he also demonstrated that same honesty, that same faithfulness, that same trustworthiness of his father over and over in his life. He was the first human to live a fully integrated life where his inner life totally matched the outer life that you can see. And ultimately, the place where his integrity was was put to the test was right before his death. Jesus was outside the walls of Jerusalem in a garden. He's just explained to his disciples what's about to happen. The torture, the pain, the death that he's about to go through. He's asked them to stay up and pray with him. We read that they all went to sleep. So Jesus is alone and we read that he's in terrible turmoil and torment. And the temptation must have just been huge to run away. He's outside the walls of the city. He's in this sort of garden, sort of wooded area. But God's promise was also Jesus' promise. He's one with the Father. And so Jesus stayed. Jesus proved that he is trustworthy. Jesus fulfilled that promise that had been made thousands and thousands of years earlier. At great cost to himself. The reason that Adam and Eve, they were made to live and breathe honesty instead of deception. Is because they were made to reflect the character of God. And a massive part of God's character. That we see demonstrated by Jesus on that night. Is that he is ultimately trustworthy. Trustworthy. He follows through on his promises. And so in this passage, Jesus is calling for us, his followers, to return to the type of life for which we were designed, to reject deception and embrace integrity, to reflect the true character, the true glory, the true magnificence of our creator God. It'd be so easy for us to remain in the realm of the theoretical instead of the realm of the practical. So, let me just ask a couple of questions which hopefully will help to highlight for you what this might look like in practice. What it looks like to follow Jesus in this area. Are you honest with your spouse? Or is there something that you've justified deceiving them about? How do you approach your taxes? Do you leave off parts of your income? Cash jobs? Do you tell your friends that the traffic is to blame for your lateness when the real reason is Netflix? Do you use body language and tone to deceive your friends or family without technically saying untrue words? I did that a lot growing up. That's deception. Are you deceitful when a friend asks you how your faith is going? Do you lie on your resume? Is your online persona consistent with who you really are? Do you lie to your children to get them to behave? Do you lie to yourself to excuse wrong behavior? Do you neglect to to mention important parts of the truth in order to deceive someone? Honoring God, following Jesus in this area looks like doing your best to accurately convey the truth. Instead of using words or actions which are carefully chosen to deceive, Jesus is calling for us to be the kind of people who are known for our trustworthiness. People don't need to be asked to make a promise because everyone knows that we do our best to be honest. Social settings, private settings, work settings, home settings. They know we're not crossing our fingers behind our back when we say things. People whose yes really does mean yes and our no means no. There's no tricky, trickery, there's no deception. You might be feeling the weight of this, the weight of dishonest words which you've been in the habit of using or maybe the weight of a dishonest life which you've been living. If that's you this morning, I'd like to offer you a word of hope if you're feeling hopeless right now. If you come to Jesus and you are honest about your dishonesty, if you come to him, ask for forgiveness, ask for healing from that brokenness in you, you will be absolutely and totally forgiven, welcomed into the arms of God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to defeat that brokenness. Jesus came to fulfill that promise of God. Jesus lived, died, and was raised to life so that people who turn to him and are honest about their brokenness can be healed, can be restored, can be forgiven. And the promise of God is that one day every member of his family will experience the perfection, the joy, the beauty, the simplicity of living in a totally restored society. A society where we can truly trust our neighbor, a society where truth reigns and deception is unthinkable. Friends, I invite you to pray with me now. Father, we just want to recognize our deep longing to live as we were designed to live, to live in a society where truth reigns. Father, we ask you to help us, empower us, restore us, enable us to live without deception. Give us the courage to follow the example of Jesus, the courage to reflect your magnificent character in this area of our lives. Father, we ask that this church will be a church where people are able to be truthful to each other, where we're able to let down our masks, where we're able to truly see one another and truly love one another. Father, we ask that our lives, which we live at school and at work and at home, we ask that you will help us to be fully integrated people in those lives, help deception and brokenness to have no power over us. Father, we want to experience the bliss that we were designed for. Please help us to do that. Amen.